0: Even at 20, 30, 40, 50 times, even sometimes 100 times ARR, the outcomes that we've seen in the market are are big enough that sometimes it's very much justified.
1: I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road.
0: Thanks so much for having me here.
1: Um, Mary D'Onofrio is partner at a very old firm with a very big fund at a very young age.
0: I don't know if you know too much about Bessemer, but we're a hundred year old fund, the oldest in the United States actually, um, started out of the Carnegie steel money. Uh, if uh, that's the Bessemer, I know exactly. So, uh, they licensed the Bessemer process and made, uh, and made their fortune that way. Car- uh, Andrew Carnegie and Henry Phipps and Henry Phipps then started, uh, uh, Bessemer securities, Bessemer trust and, uh, Bessemer venture partners spun out of it in the eighties We're on our, um. BVP 11, $2.9, $2.5 billion fund. Um, and four years ago, decided to really become a multi-stage fund rather than doing just seed series A and kind of early series B. Um, and so I lead net new investments series B and beyond, and also help some of our enduring portfolio companies like Auth0, Twilio, and the like that, that we support throughout their life cycles. And um, since then, we've raised two dedicated growth vehicles, um, totaling $1.3 billion. Um, so a, a lot of money to to help entrepreneurs with. Um, I focus more so than anything in, in developer tooling, companies like uh, LaunchDarkly, HashiCorp, which recently filed, um, Zapier. Uh, data infrastructure companies like uh, Big ID or Imply Data, um, but technically I'm a generalist within software and cloud software specifically. And in a prior life, I was actually an investment banker at Morgan Stanley.
1: A prior life, but you're not very old because I happen to know <laughs> you. You you've won the 30 under 30 uh, award, right? Thank so you. So therefore, you must be under 30.
0: I am 29. Um, <laughs> I guess I guess- just squeak by. <laughs> 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 yes, I did. Um, I guess what I mean by that is uh, it feels like a long time ago. It was about seven years ago. Um, so, nonetheless, it, it has been a while. Um, but the jobs were somewhat connected. I actually did private capital markets while at Morgan Stanley. So, that was raising money for private technology companies. Some of the transactions I worked on were companies like Uber and Airbnb and Forescout, Um And that was their private capital raise, bef- like pre IPO effectively. Um, so, in some respects, the sell side of Uh, The job I have today.
1: So I don't want to be in. I don't want to sound in any way patronizing. But you've done all this under the age of thirty. I mean, I realize you have an MBA from Yale. I mean, you are well qualified to be doing this. But that's a hell of an
0: accomplishment. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. Um, Yeah, you know, I think um, the it was a combination of of the right skill set. You know, bringing um, some more financial. Um, and quantitative skills to bear um, than early stage investing requires, um, with also being at the right place at the right time. You know, there there aren't too many opportunities to build a a new practice in a very long standing fund. Um, and my. My partner today at the time, not my partner, my supervisor, Byron Dieter, um, hired me to start the growth practice, um, four years ago. And since then we've, we've built it, um, including, uh, my partner, Elliot Robinson, who co-leads the practice with me today. Um, it's a fantastic group of people. And, uh, but, but certainly I agree with you, um, somewhat for forward leaning to, to entrust <laughs> it to someone who, um, was relatively new in their how, investing career. How much, career. how
1: much money do you directly touch? Um, that you have some, yeah,
0: <laughs> a lot. Um, well, you know, uh, total Bessemer uh, in the current set of funds probably has um, a total, I think, of of three point five billion dollars. Okay. And uh, the growth funds themselves are 1.3 billion, but then we still do invest some out of the main funds. So, so it's a it's a good amount. Um, the the great thing is we have uh, something called the Century Committee and the Century Fund, um, where we evaluate a lot of the growth stage opportunities as as a collective. And so, I'm part of that group. But um, almost any growth stage opportunity, especially into our existing portfolio, I will um, I will touch in some way.
1: One of your first uh, professional jobs was at the U.S. Treasury. So in some yeah. ways, you're dealing with less money.
0: It, actually, ironically, I worked for the um, Treasury of the United States, Rosie Rios, who is now uh, a board member in one of my portfolio companies, Get Insured, which is very cool. Um, but she actually ran the Bureau of Engraving and Printing in United States Mint. So she literally minted money.
1: <laughs> she, and, and signed every one <laughs> and of them. She, yes,
0: yep, she, she, I think her signature on like over a trillion dollars of, of did you U.S. Know, currency. Did you know
1: that like for I don't know how many decades it's always been a woman. It's so all, I, the first U.S. Sec- Treasury Secretary is Janet Yellen, uh, but it's always been a woman who's been in charge, and it's the second signature on the on the dollar.
0: It's the Treasury Secretary and the Treasury of the United States.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's cool. Just it fun is. trivia. Very, yeah,
0: very cool. Um, and she was she was there for eight years.
1: The other thing you need to know about Mary is she indexes, quantifies, organizes, and calibrates all kinds of things, and she's damn good at it. Like the Cloud 100 list, which she works on in partnership with Forbes. So the Cloud 100 2021 list is worth an aggregate of $518 billion. It was $267 billion in 2020, last year. How much of that is the cloud gaining in value and how much of that just feels a little bit bubbly?
0: <laughs> so I, I definitely say it's a combination of the two. I think the run up in the public cloud markets combined with a lot of the fantastic exits that we've seen the likes of Snowflake and Cloudflare and Auth0 even in the M&A side um, has led to just vast interest in cloud investor appreciation for what those companies could become. And what's remarkable is in the public cloud market, the average revenue growth rate is actually 40%. Um, and that's at scale at maturity. And then you have some companies that are even defying that like Shopify is growing over 100% at $3 billion of revenue. So I think as, you, as it trickles down into the private markets, investors realize that their willingnesses to pay historically were actually lower than they should have been considering what these companies can become. That being said, um, in the uh, most recent Cloud 100 list, the average revenue multiple or ARR multiple, pardon me, um, was 34 times, and in 2016 it was nine times. So there's been a huge run up in multiples, and growth rates have not have not um, been at that same level. So investors are actually willing to pay more now for the same levels of growth than they have been historically. I think that for some companies, it's going to be totally justified. Um, beneficiaries, especially during COVID, were infrastructure companies, uh, collaboration and productivity software companies, but certainly we're going to see some companies not not live up to those fantastic expectations when, you know, I'm sure you hear lots of narratives around this, but investors are paying 200, 300 times ARR uh, for, for lots of companies. Not every cloud company is going to be a, a decacorn.
1: The average value of the the companies in the list of 100 companies is 5.2 billion dollars. I mean, there was a time when we thought a, a billion dollar company was remarkable.
0: Certainly, and you know, I I think especially if we look at the top. Uh, 10 or 20 companies there, you know, you really see the power of the cloud. This year, it was Stripe, Databricks, Checkout, Plaid, Figma, and the like. And so, you know, seeing those companies justify those, those massive valuations is certainly true. I think as you look further down the list and then even some that didn't make the list, you know, are they all going to be $10 billion companies? I'm not exactly sure. But um, I think that especially covid and the tailwinds behind cloud expansion have opened up a lot of opportunity for cloud companies to capture. You know, when we were um, doing the state of the cloud the year before COVID, so I think it was actually 2020, um, we estimated that cloud penetration of software alone was um, 25%, and that assumes no software TAM expansion. So if you add, if you if you assume that the software market has increased and COVID, tail- and COVID tailwinds have propelled cloud, you know, there is an ample amount of market opportunity for them to capture. Um, but I agree with you. I'm not sure every single one of them is going to be uh, exiting for 10 or $20 billion.
3: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are.
1: You clearly like metrics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you like measuring things. You I do. are yes, you, are, you you you've got the cloud 100, the Bessemer cash conversion score, that's you. The scaling to 100 report, that's you. You help create a Nasdaq index and an ET, ETF, right? Uh, do you just measure things all the time? I mean, I'm talking about like your personal life. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got indexes and 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 whiteboards and
0: I, I think I'm probably I probably overrotate on on metrics and measurement in my professional life, which which leads my my personal life to be unmeasured. Um, <laughs> leave that to my husband. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Fair enough. Um if we set COVID aside, your experience in banking and venture capital has been entirely during boom times. Does that worry you at all? I mean, you've only got – you are, like I said, incredibly intelligent, uh, incredibly well-educated, incredibly well-respected in the industry. But your entire professional experience has been up and to the right as far as the economy goes.
0: Well, So I hear what you're saying. However, I think it comes down to investment philosophy and kind of how you – especially as a growth investor, how I evaluate companies – I think in the current environment of high prices and momentum investing, people will discount from what they think the best case scenario is for a company to get to their willingness to pay. Um, I am more of a fundamentals investor. I do look at metrics very closely um, on a historic basis. And I'll also model companies into what I think fundamentals should look like in the future, and use historical multiples, historic outcomes, in order to base those decisions. Um, which you know applies a lot of discipline to my investing philosophy and my um, willingness to pay. That to some extent, and I will acknowledge this to some extent, um, makes it difficult to play in the current environment. Um, you know, if your willingness to pay is, you know, 30 times ARR, but the market demands a hundred times, then, okay, you have to sit that one out. Um, so I think for me, it has resulted in fewer, but higher conviction bets, um, but I certainly agree with you that I have not seen a downturn like the, the early 2000s um, that others have that, that give them potentially even more pause. Um, but I think that so long as I stay true to that investing framework, um, I feel good about the bets I've made. But you're right. Timing the market is, is um, part of that calculus. I don't think we're going to see software investments that are, uh, you know, high-flying 100% growers that are offered at 10 times anymore. You know, Bessemer launched, or, or pardon me, Bessemer published some of its memos. And, and I think we we led the Shopify's earliest round at like five times ARR. You're not going to get those deals anymore. They just don't exist. <laughs> um, but even at 20, 30, 40, 50 times, even sometimes 100 times ARR, if markets are big enough You have the execution chops and you have some competitive advantage, whether it's on distribution, product, team, execution. The outcomes that we've seen in the market are are big enough that sometimes it's very much justified. So I I wouldn't say we're sitting it out entirely. It's fewer higher conviction bets.
1: Speaking of timing, you've got this situation with a lot of money going into infrastructure soon. Uh, There are a lot of opportunities uh, for companies in your portfolio.
0: Certainly, and um, I think that they're capitalizing on that, um, seeing the seeing the investment there, and and wanting to certainly um, capitalize on it.
1: Looking back at your time over uh, uh, both uh, banking and venture capital, what's what's the mistake you wish you could take back?
0: This is not really a mistake, but maybe I'll answer it a different way. Of like an assumption I made that was wrong is um, I made the assumption especially when I was thinking about doing venture that everyone would want my money that like, as an investor, you know, companies are coming down Sand Hill road and knocking on your door and just, you know, saying, Oh, please pick me, please pick me. Um, and you know, you have the power of choice. I think the way that the market has evolved in venture and certainly on the growth side is that, uh, capital has increasingly become a commodity and you need to figure out your personal approach to companies, markets, and, and even your role on the board, um, such that you can build a reputation, build a brand, um, and obviously work at a firm that has, has the same, um, in order to, to win deals and, and to have access to them. So I a little bit of a different question than you asked or answered a different question than you asked. But I think that was an assumption that I made that was incorrect.
1: It seems like a reasonable assumption, right? I've got <laughs> I've got access to a large bank account. I have I can put a signature on a check. Uh, people will flock to me. Well, yes.
0: well, some of my partners who have actually been at Bessemer longer than I've been alive uh, tell me that, you know, it used to be a situation where um that would be the case, you know. People would come down Sandhill Road and and go door to door and be like, "Hey, you, there are not too many firms, not too many people who are doing this, taking bets on risky early stage companies and college dropouts who have a big idea." Um, and you know, we were talking about it in terms of the the Cloud One Hundred, but there have been so many successful outcomes of that model that yes, um, you know, the capital into venture as of late is astounding. In our most recent state of the cloud, we we noted that. $288 billion of cap, of venture dollars went into the industry in only the first half of 2021 alone. And the second quarter, I don't have the third quarter stats off the top of my head, but the second quarter, it was like $156 billion. It's astounding.
1: <laughs> it, it, it is another example of you are making your career at an interesting time in which there's this sudden flood of capital.
0: Yeah. No, totally. And- you know, your firms are, firms are, are competing to help with, help companies build.
1: Which is great. Yeah. This is also a time in which the average person in America may see technology and big tech in a negative light. Um, I would guess that the average person in America who has an opinion on that probably does not know a ton about venture capital. Um, But, it would be unfair i think to loop in venture capital with the evils of big tech i mean there's some there are some evil out there right um but but venture capital continues to either not be understood by washington and the average american or i think justifiably can be explained as as something good that still helps the world move forward with projects that will change the world
0: i think you're right and you know even as i think of my own personal portfolio you know, I, I don't, I think these companies are helping to make the world a better place in their ways. You know, I'm invested in a company called Forder. It's fraud prevention software companies. They have customers like Nordstrom. Like let's, let's help Nordstrom not, not be overcome by fraudsters. Um, you know, I'm invested in a company called Big ID. It literally is a data privacy company, um, data infrastructure in order to preserve, um, you know, consumers' rights and privileges under um, different data privacy laws like GDPR or CCPA. Um, And venture dollars are the ones that fund those companies, fund those new ideas. Um, I certainly certainly think there's more goodness than anything there.
1: You are a young woman who is in charge at a very important Silicon Valley venture firm. Are you a sign that we have solved that problem in venture or are you an outlier?
0: I think that I'm a sign that there is a lot of progress. Um, I don't think that it has been solved. I think that, you know, there are many, many boards, many venture firms that still do not have um, as much female representation as they should. You know, theoretically, female representation in venture firms and, and boards should should uh, rival population statistics, right? It should be about 50-50. It's not quite there. Um, that being said... Um, there are more and more of us. And uh, on the portfolio side, I certainly do um, advocate for my por- portfolio companies to start hiring chief people officers, chief he- human resource officers, such that um, diversity and inclusion at the portfolio company level, at the board level, um, can will improve over time. and And, you know, obviously... The, there aren't just um, moral imperatives for DNI, but they produce better business outcomes, having more perspectives um, and more people with different perspectives attacking the same problem. So um, I think I'm certainly a sign that there's progress, more to be made, but um, I'm very proud that the Bessemer growth team is exceptionally diverse. And um, I... Um, and very actively involved in communities like All Raise and even kind of women's mentorship initiatives at Bessemer, because I'm I'm hoping uh, to to help the next generation of of female investing partners to to rise to that level as well.
1: We were talking earlier about how you have all of these different measurements that you've invented and 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 numbering systems and ranking systems. What appeals to you with that? What on a visceral level? What is that the thing? That, that fires neurons in your brain that, that, that light up happy spots in your head?
0: Well, I, I think the entire discipline of venture is trying to identify what those foundational and transformational companies could be that will change the next generation of the way that we think and live and work. And while not all of that can be boiled down to numbers, Um, especially at the growth stage. Those are really good signals. And I like to use metrics and numbers more as um, guides for places to look. So for example, with CAC payback, customer acquisition cost payback, the rate at which your sales and marketing expense is repaid by an individual customer. If it's really high, that can tell me that, you know, it's not, it's not important just hey, CAC payback's high. It's, hey, CAC payback's high. Does that mean that this is a really tough market? Like that customers don't actually really want your product or competition is really fierce. Um, Is that it? Or is CAC payback totally justified because your customer lifetime values, the the kind of total amount of money that your individual customer will, will give you over time, are those just so high that it justifies that? It more points me in the places to look for the next level of diligence. I'm never gonna invest in a company simply because they have good or bad or not invest in a company because they have bad metrics. But I love to use the numbers as signals for for where to pry.
1: Mary D'Onofrio, partner at Bessemer Venture Partners, where she created the firm's growth investment practice. This is the second time we visited Bessemer. The first was back in 2019, talking with Tess Hatch, an aerospace engineer who focuses her investments on space and aeronautics.
2: There's this famous quote, an astronaut said that the first day we were all pointing to our our countries, the second or third, we were pointing to our continents, and, and by the fourth, it was just one world. And I think that's important just not for me, but for everyone to experience.
1: Look for that interview in our library of interviews with venture capitalists wherever you find your podcasts. Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes at, at PressHereTV.com.